0: From the southeastern corner of western North Carolina, this is Polklore. I'm your host, James Hernishan. This is a third in a series of interviews with candidates for the Polk School's Board of Education. If you haven't already listened to the first interview with Mike Ashworth, I recommend you run through at least the first few minutes as I supply an overview of the elections, which seats are up for grabs, and an explanation of why I'm interviewing some candidates and not others. In this episode, I talk with Brittany Klimstra, who's running for the Green Creek seat. We recorded the interview early in September at her apple orchard in Green Creek. Brittany Klimstra, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for agreeing to sit down. I know it's uh, sometimes not easy to find the time.
1: Indeed, it's a busy time.
0: Well, get right to it then. Uh, Tell me a little about yourself and how you came to be interested in tackling what is not necessarily considered a fun job.
1: Certainly less fun than it probably was 10 years ago. Um, My husband and I moved to the area to start an apple farm eight years ago. And um, we established in Polk County for a lot of reasons, one of which being the school system. We heard such incredible things about the schools and the teachers and the administration. And we have three small children. At that time, we had a three-year-old and two six-month-olds. And so we knew we needed to be in a good school system. So that was kind of what settled us here. And then certainly as they've attended school, And um, my daughter will be in middle school this year. She's at Polk Central. I mean, at Polk Middle and my twins are at Polk Central in fourth grade. Um, Ensuring that the school system continues to get the support they need to support a growing population here in Polk County, whether we like it or not, was certainly a big part of why I wanted to get involved. And also, I work full time in the food industry and here on the farm and um, making sure that the kids in school have food is probably my number one passion and one of the primary reasons I'd love to be on school board, to try and facilitate meals to all the children that need it.
0: Now, part of anyone's motivation for running for public office is you're not completely satisfied with the folks who are already there. Is that, I mean, is that an exaggeration or do or you just think that, hey, I really could make a contribution here?
1: I think first and foremost is that I felt like I could make a contribution. Um, I have connections in the food industry and I have a farm here and I have a passion for no child going hungry, especially in a community where agriculture is so pre- so prevalent and also um, so locally focused. There's not a lot of what they call factory farms here. And these are people who care that their neighbors have enough to eat. And so I've really truly felt like um, being on the school board would help me bring a lot of those passions and connections to the students in the schools.
0: The reason I I talk about this issue of motivation is that you know a few years ago, school boards flew under the radar, right? No one bothered showing up to the meetings because generally speaking, it worked. And in Polk County success is one of the best districts in the state is testament to that fact. That all changed recently. And so uh, were. was your thinking part of that change in our in our general approach to the way we think about school boards?
1: So I think certainly the visibility that school boards have gotten. Um, has changed tremendously. I don't think Polk County Schools and their ability to serve the students has changed, but I think they're going to, like I said, need to grow. They're going to need to grow, and it's going to need to develop. And we have an absolutely phenomenal superintendent. I've sat down with them many times, and I just wanted to know that despite some very outspoken dissenters, that he understood the support of the masses and that he felt like... He was recognized for the job that he's been doing very successfully for many years. And if there was any way I could ensure that his time here was as long as possible and as fruitful as possible, I wanted to do that.
0: All right. So a school board uh, is responsible for a finite number of things. Obviously, you're interested specifically in its role of feeding students, which, to be frank, is not something I realized school boards did until I moved here. Um, But there are a range of other things that school boards are legislatively mandated to do. But that's a relatively small range of things compared to all the things that the schools do, because the state sets the standards, the state sets the curriculum, the state sets the pay for the teachers. Uh, So, what would you like to see? Change in that narrow range of things that school boards actually are responsible for.
1: So certainly, there's an amount of funding that comes from multiple sources that the school board helps allocate, and um, having visibility to that through conversations with Aaron Green, I felt like someone with a business mindset and someone who's run a balance sheet and someone who's worked in an industry where I have to manage a lot of money for a lot of people and projects and priorities, it would well serve a school board to have someone like me on there. And I felt like I had a unique perspective to add to those conversations.
0: Uh, You were at the working session, were you, uh, the school board did last month, specifically talking about whether or not we can afford to feed all the kids. What did you take away from that discussion?
1: I was really encouraged That despite the changes in socioeconomic status in some of the districts, they wanted to be sure that regardless of the haves and the have-nots in the districts that don't qualify for free breakfast and lunch, that those children got it no matter what. Because there are at-risk children in Saluda and Tryon, and it was tremendously supportive of the school board to say, we're going to take care of the littles. That's what we can absolutely do. And I was so encouraged by that.
0: Uh, I was kind of surprised by some of the numbers we saw, though. I mean, the disparity between, say, what uh, the number of qualifying kids in Saluda and the number of qualifying kids up in um, Cooper's Gap is quite dramatically different. And uh, that means that the, the board can either do things. It can either try to just have one policy for everybody, and that's going to perhaps be difficult or, or, you know, look at each, each section differently. Um, what kind of approach do you want to bring to that?
1: I think in talking with friends who have children in school systems, that's a very unique policy to have, what Polk County has done. And they were surprised by that, my friends that would not qualify for free breakfast and lunch. And they said, well, you know, if I was in that situation, I would want to pay in anyway. And I think it's a unique opportunity that we could provide that parents like myself who could afford breakfast and lunch for my children, if we feel led to pay in anyway, and then allow those resources to get allocated to students in the middle and high schools that can't afford breakfast and lunch and whose parents, for whatever reason, choose not to fill out the paperwork. The way they've done it enables the citizens of Polk County to decide how they want to contribute And they can do that if they are in the haves, so to speak, category of those counties.
0: Do you think our county has the resources to ensure that everybody basically doesn't have to worry about getting fed at any of the schools?
1: I think it's possible. I do. I definitely think it's possible. I think the costs of these kind of things are going up. And it's something from the food industry perspective in my job, I certainly see. Um, But it's also managing healthy foods in the schools, because that's a big part of a lot of people's conversations is why are our kids eating Pop-Tarts and honey buns for breakfast when we we should do better? And so I think it's balancing making sure kids are fed with making sure kids are fed healthy foods. And that's maybe the the hurdle that might be too great with the given resources we have right now. But I'd like to believe that we could find a way, especially with all the farms here.
0: And there is actually a fair bit of money floating around, right? And the Polk County Community Foundation has $78 million at their disposal. And uh, the equestrian center is relatively well padded in, in that, right? So your goal would be to maybe try to scare up some more philanthropic Absolutely.
1: So I started a nonprofit, actually, for the good of Polk County Farms um, that will provide scholarships for students in the community that are interested in agricultural and um, hospitality industry jobs, not just for college, but for actual internship opportunities and things like that. But one of the other things that we will do is collect funds to support these internships and scholarships, but also to fund some of the farms donating food to the schools.
0: Right, I mean, it can't be easy for farms just to cough up 15% of their no, their, their product or certainly
1: something. not, or, and I think it's unreasonable to expect they'll cut their prices to sell to the schools either. But there's money in this county to supplement the farms being partners with the schools. And that's the bridge that I think can be built very effectively here with the resources from the Community Foundation and the Equestrian Center and philanthropic individuals who very much want to support this kind of activity.
0: This is all very fascinating because I don't think it's something that people think about a heck of a lot. I mean, and part of it is due to the... uh, national level attention that's been paid to cultural issues and, um, in the school rather than agricultural issues. And if you are successful in your campaign, you will have to deal with some of those cultural issues. And, I, and I've chosen on this series of interviews to, to ask everyone to talk a little bit about this newfound interest in which books are being taught. And it's not a very comfortable subject for a lot of people. Um, a lot of people are using language in ways that other people don't understand. Um, and the school board has had a kind of stop and start uh, approach to dealing with this. And at that meeting you were at and I was at, um, they agreed to change the way they respond to challenges from parents about specific books in the curriculum or supplemental material. So I need to hear from you. What what are you going to think about when the, you're tasked with dealing that with that kind of thing?
1: So I think this The process they are implementing now um, is overdue and they fully acknowledge that as well. But also it is very thorough in that these resources are being reviewed and there are limitations to what Polk County schools or really any school system can do in terms of removing books from the standpoint of civil liberties and their attorneys that will be eager to get involved if we are to pull these books out of the schools without just cause and so i think there's a very documented regimented process that parents can go through to eliminate those the access to these materials and actually aaron green called us last night and reiterated mm-hmm. this that at any time a parent can go in and say i don't want my children to have access to this or that and that will be documented and enforced so i think that that's what was missing was they had the policy but it was not well communicated and if there's one thing i think the school board could do better kind of circling back to our first conversation, our first question is communication on policy and being very black and white about what the policies are and how they're enforced. Because before it was a little bit of confusion or lack of communication, or you can find it on the website, be direct, tell them exactly what you're doing and why you're doing it. And then there's a lot less room for justified outrage.
0: Uh, justified outrage. Uh, I suppose it might be a thing every now and then. (laughs) Um, But there is this culture war going on Mm -hmm. between those who are not comfortable with, they're not comfortable with modern literature Mm -hmm. to be blunt. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're happy with old fashioned stuff, but uh, new literature that uh, is directed specifically at middle school and even younger kids deals with issues of gender identity Mm -hmm. and, uh, the history of race relations in America. And these are, you know, trigger issues. Mm -hmm. Um, So my question to you is, are you kind of confident that the school board has the tools and the, the general approach to handle their unfortunate position in the culture wars?
1: And I think it's a conversation about parents' comfort level with having difficult conversations with their children too. And I think a lot of times, and I grew up, a daughter of a preacher. I was a non-denominational preacher's kid. And so I would say my childhood was sheltered at best. And so that took um, some learning. I wouldn't ever say unlearning. Absolutely not. But some learning and some conversations as a young adult and an adult that probably should have been had as I was a younger child that would have better prepared me for life in these modern times. Because to your point, a lot of these things that they're comfortable with are old. And we need to at least acknowledge some new challenges that our children will face in society, in school, in life. And I think sheltering from those things is not probably in their best interests. But that's a conversation that the parents need to have with the children.
0: Well, there seems to be this conflict between Uh, those who, the the term they use is parental rights. Mm -hmm. So they they are genuinely concerned about a disconnect between the culture they're giving their children at home and and what the children are learning in school. Mm -hmm. But to my eyes, it seems like sometimes they say, well, not only do I want to control my my own child's upbringing, I also want to control what everybody else is getting exposed to. And that goes to the heart of of where we are. Yes. Um, what would you tell somebody, if, assuming you win again, um, and you're on the board and someone gets up at a microphone at some meeting and starts doing what some folks have been doing mm-hmm. and really making you feel like you're responsible for you know, propaganda and indoctrination uh, of, of their children? How do you
1: respond to that? And I think you would have to understand situation by situation, are these required Materials that your child is being forced to learn in the classroom and forced is far too strong a word yeah. that your child is being required to attend class while it's being spoken about or are these auxiliary materials that are accessible to your child because limiting what is accessible has never in the history of the world been what you should do you should not limit the access to information about human beings and history now if you don't feel that your child should be required to participate in classroom education about things that don't align with your personal beliefs then you absolutely have a right to request an alternative lesson and that exists as it is today so I think it's safe to say, if you don't want your kid to go into the library and see a rainbow book about someone choosing a gender that they were not assigned at birth, then that is pro- public school is probably not the best choice, honestly, because there is a requirement for some of these books to be in schools, in the libraries, and accessible to students.
0: Isn't it the case, though, that what we're seeing is kind of like an attack on public education in general. Absolutely. I mean, obviously if you're running for school board, you believe in public schools. Absolutely. Yeah. And everyone's free to take their kids out of the public school, even though we don't really have an alternative in Polk County. You're free to go somewhere and do something else. And yet the school boards have become the the, the scene of (laughs) of a lot of this conflict. Absolutely. And so wouldn't it be better to, to ask school boards to do something to try to tone it down, to, you know, to to reduce the conflict by saying, why can't we just trust our teachers and our librarians, the people who have, you know, some of them have PhDs, mm-hmm. uh, to choose the right books? When did we stop trusting mm-hmm. our schools? Absolutely. I mean, the one thing you hear everyone talk about is how much we love our teachers, mm-hmm. and two of them have just come out of retirement to come back to Polk County. Mm-hmm. I mean, what can we do to to uh, to restore confidence and trust in the public education system? Because I think if we can do that, then all the other issues will kind of disappear.
1: They will or they'll remain fringe, which yeah. is where they were for a very long time. And I, I absolutely agree. I think um, one of the things I have said consistently is pointing out Polk County Schools was number two in the state back in 2019. They didn't do the numbers in 2020 and 2021. And there is a national deficit, a learning gap associated with COVID. And then we come back and in 2022, Polk County Schools was again, number two in the state. And I think what you have to acknowledge is when the teachers are present with the students, they excel, they succeed. And you cannot take that away. This was... A a nightmare by every measure in terms of socially, economically, but the indicators that we learned from that time span are irrefutable. Your child does great in school when they're there with these teachers who care deeply and who are trained to help your child succeed and learn in a safe environment. Same is true now. And you can see how if you pull that out, if you remove their ability to do their jobs the way they've always done them, you will suffer and so will your child.
0: Well, this brings up one other question I want to ask you because let's hope we never have to deal with a pandemic Absolutely. in our lifetime again because that was horrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's easy to criticize a school board, I uh, you know, with 2020 hindsight sure. because they did that. We're going to go back to school without masks. And then they had to close down several mm-hmm. schools. I mean, I sympathize with those who were tasked with doing something they never thought they'd have to do. Of course. But what they did was they decided to use their own judgment, not the judgment of of the state board of education and Mm -hmm. their local board of uh, health department Mm -hmm. to to go back to school without masks. So, again, if you're on the board, you never have to deal with this. But if you did, Mm -hmm. what are the lessons we take away from that?
1: I think... The most important thing that I took away, and my family is uniquely blessed. I work from home. My husband is a farmer. So our children were never at risk. We had people come in and tutor them. We did our very best, and I still ended up with one child with a severe COVID deficit. So I think our learning as a family and our learnings as a nation now, and the county included in that, is that children need to be in schools where at all possible. They need to be present in person, safely in schools. So that would be my number one priority ever when dealing with this going forward. I'm a scientist, though. I have a microbiology degree, a food science degree. My husband has his master's in biology. So we were very much in line with whatever the experts are saying is what we're following. So we masked and we did the things that we felt we needed to do. And I think that's still probably best case scenario, but the reality is children suffered significantly by not being in school. So where possible, it would always be my priority on the school board that children are able to attend in person. So if we have to put masks on. Then we put masks on. And if your child is not comfortable with that, then we make exceptions. And that's what has to be done for children who truly can't compensate and work through that. Or there was the the Polk Wolverine Academy where children were allowed to remotely learn through Polk County. So we provided as many resources as possible, but I think the priority must be in-person learning.
0: And again, there's not going to be that many kids who are genuinely unable to wear their mask, just Correct. like there's really not that many trans kids, right? I mean, Correct. It, it almost seems like we're spending so much time on Something that really—it shouldn't be that hard to accommodate. It's in small not, numbers, right? It's
1: not truly. Really. It's not, and I agree. I think it, reasoning, and that's one of the things I continue to do, is just calm, rational facts. It's hard to dispute. Children need to be in school. It's also hard to dispute that people were dying. And these were real concerns that we had at the time. And we responded, like you said, people made decisions with the best amount of information they had. But you need to stay calm and just give people reasons. If you don't want to listen to reason, that's also your choice. But the schools have to operate.
0: All right. Uh, I think we've covered everything that uh, I've covered with the other candidates. Great. Um, And I'm going to have to do a lot less editing than I did with the (laughs) other ones. So sometimes it rambles. But – is there anything else you would like people to know about yourself and your plans for, for uh, being a member of the board?
1: So I think um, my priority, like I said, was to run so that the teachers and administrators were allowed to continue this excellence that they have already established. Right. And I got reassurance. From Aaron Green and from others in the school system, that they would. It would persist as it is, supported as it is. So the things that I have as priorities will still be executed even if I'm not on the board. And I take a, a lot of comfort in that, that I will be here long term. I have 4,500 apple trees planted in the ground in Polk County. I'm going to be here, but um, I'll continue to pursue making sure kids are fed and teachers are supported no matter what. And I think that's something that all the citizens of Polk County should care about, whether they vote for me or don't, you should care about these things and, and support people who do.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
0: That was Brittany Klimstra, candidate for Green Creek. But remember, every voter gets to cast a ballot for each seat up for election. Next episode, I'll be talking with Dee O'Brien, who's running for the seat in Cooper's Gap. Thanks for listening. And as always, you can reach me at jamesh.poklore.com with your feedback and suggestions.